You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Hey, you got a second? Yeah, I got tons of time. This job's a joke. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I want to continue through some of the uh, listener questions and whatnot, because I've got a big pile of them, and I want to start working my way through them. Since it was a little bit difficult waking up this morning, we're going to skip some of the chitty chat. I'm going to encourage you to get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group and like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you like the show, leave a five-star iTunes review, etc., etc. But uh, why don't we go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back on the other side of this and talk about a couple things. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So Jonathan had a uh, question in the Facebook group. And I'm going to be completely honest. I don't exactly... I, I couldn't quite follow his train of thought, but maybe you can. Either way, I did find the information, so we'll talk about it. He says, does Pro Football Focus have any info on what percentage of dropbacks Rodgers throws to routes that come back to the quarterback? If he throws less to routes coming back to the quarterback, it could help show whether or not he is actually trying to take deep shots more than high percentage short yardage throws. Again, I'm not entirely understanding, but we'll look at it anyways. So in terms of comeback slash curl routes, Aaron Rodgers is throwing those routes about 9% of the time. There is no quarterback in the NFL with less than 9% on those routes. Uh, Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo are also throwing at 9%, but everybody else is above that. So, again, whatever that means to you, he throws that less than just about anybody. Now, conversely, since apparently this question is directly about how often we're throwing go routes, we can just look at that. How often does Aaron Rodgers load up and try to launch the ball down the field? His number one route, in other words, the highest percentage throw that he has is a go route. 14% of his throws, and for those that don't know what I'm talking about, 
curl and come back means you run straight and then run back toward the quarterback, either, you know, back and toward the quarterback or back and toward the sideline. But either way, you come back. Go route means you just run in a straight line. 14% of the time, he throws to the guy running in a straight line. Now, it's hard to conceptualize. 14% doesn't seem like that much. But the only quarterbacks in the NFL that throw more than that are Matt Stafford, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Russell Wilson was at 15%, almost the exact same. Daniel Jones and Jameis, Wilson, Jameis Winston are also 14%. So, I mean, that as soon as I saw Jameis Winston was at 14%, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is... Aaron Rodgers... I, I think he would be the happiest person on planet Earth. Not saying he doesn't like Green Bay, not saying anything crazy like that. Just, just erase his memory, drop him in Tampa Bay where his job is to just launch the ball down the field 24-7, he would just be like a dog eating a T-bone steak, man. He would just be so happy. Now, as far as, again, we can simplify this um, by simply looking at how successful was he at this. The strange thing is, it's very go routes are very hit or miss. Um, typically, because the nature of the route is somebody running in a straight line, if you complete a pass... It's going to be more yards, and it's a much higher likelihood of a touchdown. So necessarily, that's going to mean you're going to have a higher passer rating. However, it's a lower probability pass. So if you're really bad at it, you're going to have a really low passer rating. If you're somewhat successful at completing those passes, and some of that is dependent on your wide receivers, you're going to have a really high uh, pass rating. So if you, as I go through the list, looking at the different quarterbacks, either quarterbacks have a really high passer rating on go routes or really low passer rating. And Aaron Rodgers is kind of right in the middle. For example, just kind of look, you know, Goff 93, uh, Jameis 77. Um, you got, uh, what is his name? Jacoby Brissett. His passer rating was a 27 on go routes. Absolutely abysmal at it. Um, you got Gardner Minshew 133. You've got uh, Haskins at 45, so terrible. Um, Drew Locke at 75, which is not great, although that's pretty close to where Aaron Rodgers is. 104 for Drew Brees, 102 for uh, Deshaun Watson. I'm just seeing the the player or the team logo, and I'm brain is operating a little too slow to rattle off these quarterbacks here. But Aaron Rodgers, 86.8. Now, another way to do it is rather than judge... Um, his passer rating on other quarterbacks, which again is kind of middle of the road. I would say it's actually quite low considering, you know, go route passer rating you would expect to be somewhere in the hundred. But another way to do it is let's just look at some of his other routes and what his passer rating is. So on routes into the flat, so really short, you know, either just a quick wide receiver screen or running back just running straight out into the flat. You've got 102 and 95. There's also to the other side was 78.9 for whatever reason to the right side, not very successful. Oh, what? I'm not going to spend all day. So has other, on all these other routes, if you want particulars, message me, I'll tell you. 102, 95, 78, 73, 97, 91, 95. And then his top routes are corner and post routes. So on corner routes, which is running away from the football away from Aaron Rodgers to the corner of the end zone. His passer rating is a 139.2. And on uh, post routes, which is running, you know, toward the middle of the end zone, 140.0. Now, obviously, because this is the best route ever, he very rarely throws these balls, 2% and 3% respectively, but 139 and 140 on those routes. 
And again, his go route is 86.8, and it's what he throws the most. So really, it's it's part of the complication is that there's things that work that we don't do very often, and there's things that aren't working that we do constantly. So we either it, it, it's it's either or. Either you fix the things that aren't working, or you change which things we do a lot. But if we keep doing what we're doing, you're going to see a lot of frustrating drives. It's really weird just kind of going through this, seeing which quarterbacks are great at what. I was trying to see if anybody has that corner or that post, um, and I couldn't see anyone. And then I got to Dwayne Haskins, and his are higher. So one of the worst quarterbacks in football just loves those routes also. But going through this, I'm not seeing anybody else that's... Uh, Drew Brees, post route, terrible. Corner route, 158.3, basically perfect. So, I, I mean, it just depends on the team. It depends what you like to do. I mean, if you're only throwing, like, the, the corner fade and you're just lethal with it, you know. Anyways, I hope that helped in some capacity. <laughs> it's interesting to look at it anyways. What else? Trying to pick through this here. Here's a question. Is it totally insane to think Jamon Moore could be back in camp? If he could just fix the mental part of his game, I feel like he could be a decent player. <sighs> when I answered this question already, I answered it a little differently than I'm probably going to now. But ultimately, yes, it's insane. The biggest reason is, first of all, we cut him. And like half of our team that gets cut, he went over to the Browns. Most likely because a lot of our personnel staff, at least at one point, had gone over to the Browns. I don't even know who's still over there, if any of them. I don't know. Where is Elliot Wolf now? He's with the. Of course, he's with the Patriots. Anyways, Jamon Moore is currently a Cleveland Brown. Now I understand the whole thing about you know he's got the mental blocks, but he seemed to be pretty decent. The biggest problem with all of it is, first of all, I don't know that he's going to get it fixed, and I would guess that he's probably not. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of players that get cut and go to a new team and then get cut and then go to a new team. They do that three or four more times, and then they're just out of the league, and I really think that's where Jamon Moore is headed. It might not be that way, but it's so unbelievably rare to see multiple teams give up on him, which is what would have to happen if the Packers get him, because that means the Browns would have to cut him. It would be so incredibly rare to have a bunch of teams cut the guy, and then he ends up blowing up. And you can maybe say, what about Alan Lazard? But even that doesn't wash all that well. Jacksonville did technically give up on him, and the Packers did sort of also give up on him. But the two biggest issues I have, number one, we don't know if Alan Lazard is going to be a good wide receiver. And I know that's blasphemy, but that still kind of remains to be seen kind of all over the place with this one, but hear me out. The guy ended the season with 477 yards and three touchdowns. We, it's a, maybe a little bit early to crown him as an elite wide receiver. Well, he didn't play that much. That's not necessarily true. He started in week six. He had one game over a hundred yards. The game against the New York Giants was his biggest game. Um, and he had three targets, three receptions, 103 yards and a touchdown. Outside of that, the most targets he's ever gotten was six against Carolina, and he ended that game with 27 yards and no touchdowns because he only caught three of those six. So it still remains to be seen. Beyond that, he never took a regular season snap until, uh, well, he never took one with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He took one snap in 2018 with the Packers. And then in 2019, when he came back week six, is when things kind of took off. So, I mean, we we can comfortably say that Alan Lazard is, is ahead of what, Jake Kumaro and the rest of these guys like Jamon Moore have done, 
But even so, that's not a great example of a guy that just gets kicked. Because, again, I've, I've gone through so many of these different names and people that we pick up, and I look at them, and I've seen them go through four or five teams, and it's like, look, this just isn't going to work very well. It's not impossible, but again, the other part that's complicated is even if Jamon Moore does get over his issue, in order for what you're saying to come true, multiple things would have to happen. Again, he'd have to be bad for the Browns to the point where they'd have to cut him. Then, number two, you'd have to have the Packers say, you know what, we want him back, despite the fact that we have just tons of guys that we, you know, we're, I mean, we're going to end up getting rid of wide receivers. We're not going to be adding guys, and if we add guys, it's not going to be Jamon Moore, because we just cut him. And then on top of that, we'd have to get rid of guys like Kumaro, et cetera, et cetera, and then bring back Jamon Moore, which means we'd have to cut somebody in order to bring back Jamon Moore, and then Jamon Moore would have to get over his mental issues. I don't mean mental issues like he's crazy. I just mean the the drops and whatnot, and become a good wide receiver. To, to, to put this in context, I would say that it is so far out of the realm of likely that I would say it's more likely that not even talking about injury, Jordan Love just wins the job in 2020 over Aaron Rodgers. And I do not think that's likely at all. But I think it's more likely than the Packers end up with Jamon Moore, and Jamon Moore is a quality wide receiver for the Packers in 2020. Because at least Jordan Love is on the team, and Jordan Love, for all we know, might be a great quarterback. Jamon Moore is a terrible wide receiver that isn't even playing for the Packers. So, again, just to kind of put it in context of how outside of the realm of likely I think it is, uh, yeah, I would say Jordan Love over Aaron Rodgers before Jamon Moore over whatever. Here's a fun little question. Taylor says, if all the Packers were to start fighting one another, who would be the last one standing? Now, I'll admit, my uh, my first gut reaction was to just go for a offensive or defensive lineman, just take the biggest bully out there and just say, it's, it's going to be that person, it's going to be Kenny or whatever. Maybe Lindsley with that knockout punch. But as I thought about it, these guys are going to get gassed pretty quick. Best fighter doesn't necessarily mean the biggest bench press or the heaviest person. And so if we... Say the wide receivers and the DBs are out just because, you know, size does play a factor. And, and you know, just pinning them up, them up against just about anybody, it's, it's over. You could go linebacker, but there's really nobody at linebacker that... I mean, if, if we had, like, Ray Lewis on the team, maybe. But Oren Burks, nah, not going linebacker. Not quarterback. We'll throw A.J. Dillon in the mix. I would say not running back, but we'll throw A.J. Dillon in. So that leaves us with tight ends, edge rushers, defensive linemen, and A.J. Dillon. Because obviously not quarterback, I don't know if I said that. Now, as far as tight ends go, because we've kind of gone a little bit smaller, the only one I would consider is Mercedes Lewis. And I'm going to say age is a little bit of a factor here, and I'm just going to erase all the tight ends. So now it's offensive line, defensive line, edge rushers, and A.J. Dillon. I'm going to stick with the fact that the big boys are going to get gassed. I'm going to take out, you know, Clark, Lowry, those guys, and the offensive linemen. Obviously, any one of these guys has got the knockout punch, but you can't predict who's going to land that. Could be Elton Jenkins just going out, you know, just laying people out. But I'm picturing like a Royal Rumble. So you got to have a little bit, you got to have some gas in the tank. And with that, as I try to picture the likes of Zadarius, Preston, Rashawn, those kinds of guys up against A.J. Dillon, as much as A.J. Dillon is, is ripped, you've got 250 and ripped going up against like 270-pound 
super jacked edge rushers, and I'm just I'm 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 not into it. So it comes down to, in my opinion, Rashawn, Preston, and Zadarius. Now I think most people are going to count out Rashawn, but you got to remember Feldman's freak list. He might not be as good of a pass rusher as Zadarius is, but the guy is super quick and he is ridiculously strong pound for pound. And I know everyone's leaning Zadarius, but I don't want to rule out Preston either because. Again, as much as Zadarius is kind of quick and nimble a little bit more than Preston is, Preston is a big, hulking dude. I'm changing my mind every three seconds here. I really don't want to rule out Rashawn, but I think I'm going to. Because although he's young and he's got the youth thing on his side, there's something to be said about experience when we're talking about fighting. And because Zadarius and Preston aren't old, they're just a little bit more veteran, I'm going to say it's going to be between those two guys. Both of them grew up in the South. I'm trying to look at, like, you know, where did they grow up? They're both in the south. They're both relatively high crime areas. I'm looking at Lithonia, Georgia, 43 per 1,000 residents is the crime rate. It says it's one of the highest crime rates in America compared to all communities of its size. However, Montgomery, Alabama, where Zadarius was, 49 per 1,000. And I didn't really have any perspective, so I looked at Madison, where I live. It's 403 per 100,000, which would make it 4 in 1,000 compared to 43 and 49, so 10 times as much crime as Madison, Wisconsin. So that's more or less a tie. Both about the same age. I'm just going to go with Preston, man. I'm going with Preston. Just because if you look at the interviews, Zedarius just seems like a genuinely good dude. Now granted, he can flip a switch, but there's something about it that kind of feels like as, as great of a guy as Preston is, he's kind of along for the ride, and he's got that look in his eye where he's a great dude, but he's just looking for a reason to pop off a little bit. So I'm saying if this thing kicks off, Preston is the last man standing. Final answer. As soon as I took Rough Neighborhood into account, my mind went to Kenny Clark. But whatever, we already ruled him out. Anyway, it's going to have to be the last question, because I'm coming up on the end here. Ben says, please talk about Dexter Williams. The talent is obvious. He's fast, but he has a hard time hanging onto the ball. Is he a developmental piece that could develop, or is he on his way out because he can't? we can't trust him? If he steps up this year, is it more likely we let AJ walk, as he seems to be a similar play style? Where does he fit in? Is it realistic to think that going into 2021, we may be looking at a Dylan, Dexter Williams, Irvin trio and letting our veterans walk? Lots of questions. First of all, I would say it's 0% chance AJ Dylan gets let go. So we can get that out of the way immediately. doesn't matter if he steps up, falls off. It doesn't matter if A.J. Dillon is the worst of the group between Aaron Jones, Jamal, and Dexter, which is a possibility. It's not impossible that A.J. in his first year really struggles and is the fourth best running back of that group. And even in that situation, he's 1,000% not getting cut. It changes the dynamic of what happens at the running back position, which is actually pretty interesting when you start thinking about Dexter Williams. Because no question he needs to worry about his job. As soon as A.J. Dillon got on board, all three of these guys should have been worried. And I'm leaving out Irvin a little bit because it's a weird situation. He played more at wide receiver than he did at running back. It's kind of a weird position. He's a receiving back on a team that doesn't really seem to value receiving backs very much. But I did watch watch Dexter Williams yesterday. Um, it is interesting because he does look very fast. He looks very quick. He does not have a fast 40 time, though. 
Now, if you Google it, the Google just pops up with like a 4.3 something. So it's like, oh my goodness, he's fast. That's Google just making a mistake. I don't know how that happened. He runs like a 4.57, I think. So in terms of speed, if I'm right about the 4.57, it's about the same as Aaron Jones. So he's not... When you watch him play, it's evident how quick he is. But the biggest issue that I had is that he kind of seems maybe a little bit indecisive, a little bit hesitant. I've mentioned it several times. Aaron Jones, I think his biggest asset is that he just makes up his mind and he goes. And there are times when you watch and you can see Dexter Williams thinking. And there's not a big sample size. You basically have to go to the preseason to be able to watch him. He had one game where he played, I think, about six snaps. That was against uh, the Oakland Raiders when they pulled the starters on the last couple of series. Ultimately, it's very hard to figure out, based on his performance, where he's going to be. Because, again, he didn't get a lot of opportunities. And as far as him having a hard time holding onto the ball, I don't know exactly what that means. He didn't have any fumbles in preseason or the regular season. He did have one drop in preseason, but that's it. Um, But I think the most interesting thing is trying to figure out what the backfield is going to look like. For example, if they decide to pay Aaron Jones, what does that mean for Dexter? The, the first thought is, well, that means Dexter is definitely gone. Here's the interesting thing about that. If we keep Aaron Jones, we're almost a 1,000% not going to keep Jamal Williams because he's going to need to get paid at that same time. So if we cut Jamal, then we have Aaron Jones who's making a bunch of money. We've got A.J. Dillon and what? Well, presumably you would want to keep Dexter, right? If we let Aaron Jones walk then A.J. Dillon is going to fill that void. And I don't know. I, I guess it depends. I don't, I don't know if we keep Jamal. But either way, again, Dexter seems like he's going to be sticking around. I'm really having a hard time figuring out how Dexter leaves. Unless the Packers just really don't like him, which of course is a possibility. There are some guys, and we see that, you know, last year. Why isn't Dexter get? Why, 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 why? We say that about a lot of guys because we like him, but the Packers just don't care for the guy. You know, we all tended to like Jamon. He just was struggling a little bit, but they didn't want to give him a lot of opportunities because he just wasn't figuring it out. That's true with a lot of different wide receivers. You know, why isn't Kumaro out there every five seconds because he's the greatest wide receiver in the history of the world? Why don't we see Equinemius out there? I mean, last year it was obvious, but the year before that, why isn't Equinemius out there? There are certain guys that just aren't figuring it out, and the only way that I can see realistically that Dexter gets cut is if the Packers evaluate him and realize this just isn't working, he's just not a very good running back, which is entirely possible. But as weird as it sounds, I actually think Dexter Williams is in a good spot because he's unthreatening. And the biggest way that I would see, again, assuming Dexter is still somebody that the Packers feel either is doing a good job, in which case he most definitely is going to stay, or they feel like he's making progress, I just don't see him going anywhere. As long as they, at the very least, feel like he's making progress and could be something of a good running back for the team, I just don't see a path for him getting cut. Unless we're keeping Aaron Jones and Jamal, meaning we're going to pay him both, and we have Dexter, I, I just I don't see the path. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to become a good running back for the team at all, which is kind of all that really matters. But again, the, the point is, with Aaron and Jamal both coming up for contracts, I don't I don't see both of them getting paid. Either they're going to dish out a ton of money for Aaron Jones, in which case I think they're going to let Jamal walk, and it's going to be Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are going to be the one-two punch with Jamal as a backup, or excuse me, as De- with Dexter as a, as a backup. And I do I, I think 
the other part of your question or a comment that you made that he and A.J. Dillon are similar style backs, I, I kind of disagree. If I had to pair them up, I would say Jamal and A.J. are similar. Dexter and Aaron Jones are similar. Dexter is quick. He's 5'11", 212, kind of a smaller guy. He's not fast, but he is quick, and he does not seem to have a lot of thump to him at all. When he gets hit, he kind of goes down pretty quickly. So for sure, if Aaron's gone, Dexter kind of makes the most sense. I mean, one of one of Dexter's biggest plays that I saw, I think it was in the preseason, was a screen. He slipped out, caught a pass, and went for, I don't know, let's see if I can find it. He's got a bunch of, he had five receptions for 57 yards, but his, his he had two long receptions. One was against Houston. I don't even remember the opponent we were playing. But he had one for 18 yards, and then against Kansas City, he had two receptions. One of them went for 21 yards. So he's actually a pretty solid receiving option. So again, I, I see him as sort of an Aaron Jones type. Now, I don't think he's ever going to be Aaron Jones. That's not what I'm trying to say. And I don't think he's threatening Aaron Jones's job. But if Aaron Jones goes, then it, it makes it even more likely because A.J. Dillon is nothing like Aaron Jones. And I don't think Jamal is anything like Aaron Jones. I think Jamal is more like A.J. Dillon, just to a lesser degree. He's not as big. He's not as strong. He's not as fast. He might be a better running back, but that's that would be pretty terrible for A.J. Dillon because I don't think Jamal is that f- fantastic of a running back. He did become a pretty solid receiver, and he's a phenomenal blocker. But as a runner, he's kind of just a straight-line, smash-mouth kind of a running back. So, again, I think if Dexter gets cut, it's just because the Packers are just kind of throwing up their hands with him. They're like, yeah, this just isn't working, which could happen with anybody. But I think it puts the Packers in a somewhat of a, well, I don't know. Packers seem fine with picking up guys just as as backups. They don't seem to have too much of a problem with that. Grab some rando that's five foot ten, two hundred and twenty pounds, two hundred and ten pounds, whatever the thing is. But again, as long as Dexter Williams can perform, and I'm I'm optimistic. I like watching him run. I think he's got to be a little bit more decisive, but he's got some good quickness, and I think he could be a solid receiving option. And and again, like everything else, there's not a massive sample size. But he did a decent enough job blocking, especially that he, he only blocked in two games, week one and week two of the preseason. Uh, week one wasn't great. He only blocked twice, and he allowed a hurry. But week two, he was given almost an 80 pass blocking grade. So, I mean, it, it, it's all kind of there. And again, I, I, I don't see his job really being threatened. It's just a matter of do your job well, make some progress. And I, I think he might see an increase depending on what, again, we do with um, Aaron and Jamal. So... Anyways, again, somewhat of a shorter episode because I'm running a little bit late here, but you folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.